want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The letter to the Hebrews was written sometime in the mid to late 60s AD. It was written to a Jewish group, uh, many who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd come to faith in Christ, they become Christians. However, when they began to follow Christ, it resulted in a very swift uh, persecution against them. They were suffering in, all, in every possible way. They were suffering emotionally, they were suffering within their family, they were suffering socially, they were suffering economically. And that persecution caused some of them to turn back again to Judaism, to turn away from Christ. The letter to the Hebrews is written primarily to encourage endurance. It's written primarily to encourage endurance in the faith and to call those who had not yet come to faith in Christ to to believe. The author wants to call them to boldly trust the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be faithful to follow Him no matter come what may. That's, his, that's the, the, the heart of the letter. The central message, the core message of this letter, which reads really more like a sermon, probably is a sermon more than it is a, a letter. The central message is that only the work of Christ Himself can remove the guilt of man's sin. Only the work of Christ Himself can remove the guilt of man's sin. For whatever reason, some were tempted to go back to the Jewish law. For whatever reason, some were uh, tempted to go back to the ceremonial system of sacrifice as they turned from Christ alone. And what the author says is, the problem with that is, you can never remove your guilt for your sin. If you do not trust in Christ alone, you can never remove the guilt for your sin. There will always be resting on you an abiding moral consciousness of your guilt before God. And this seems to be a real theme for the writer. Listen to what he says. Chapter 9, verse 9. He says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Or, verse, nine, uh, verse 14 of chapter 9, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, look, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Chapter 10, verse 2, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. In the end of the chapter, in chapter 10, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's a theme for this writer. He's, he's thinking about the conscience, consciousness we have of our sin. The moral guilt we sense for our sin. And under the sacrificial system, there remained a consciousness of sin. 
Under that system, there remained the stain or the blight of sin committed. But listen, dear friend, it is only in Christ that a man or woman could know the freedom from the moral consciousness or the eternal guilt of our sin. This morning, we are preparing ourselves to come to this table prepared for us by our Lord in remembrance of Him. And He wants you to come to that table boldly. He wants you to come, He wants you to come with a boldness to draw near to God in this way. He wants you to sit, as it were, to sit at His table, to eat of this bread and to drink from this cup. And He wants you to do it knowing the joy of a clean conscience. Before him, because you know your sins are forgiven. That's what he desires for every one of us today. As we do that, we have to ask what is the basis for such confidence? (laughs) What is the basis for such confidence? I'm not, I'm saying confidence, I'm saying boldness, I'm not saying flippancy. I'm not saying apathetically, but I'm saying with a boldness, a confidence. When we ask how we get that confidence, we will find in Hebrews chapter 10 our answer. And this answer will come in a five-fold way. It's one answer, but unfolded in five different, different ways. How is it possible for you and I to come and sit at the table of the Lord and eat this bread and drink this cup knowing the joy of a clean conscience before Him. Because I imagine that there ought to be some incredible anticipatory joy in this place today as we come to this table. How do we get that? There's one answer in five ways. The answer revolves around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's how you come boldly to this table and boldly to the throne and boldly enter heaven's gate one day. The answer is the sacrifice of Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin reading in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, 
Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The answer to the question how you can come boldly is only the sacrifice of Christ. And the author points out five aspects of the sacrifice of Christ that I want to draw your attention to today. In verses 1 through 9, he points us to consider the perfection of his sacrifice. The perfection of his sacrifice, verses 1 through 9. In verses 10 through 12, the permanence of his sacrifice. Perfection, permanence, 10 through 12. Verse 13, the power of His sacrifice. There's something mighty about this sacrifice. The power. Verse 14, purification of His sacrifice. And then verses 15 through 18, the promise. So just remember those five words. Perfection, permanence, power, purification, and promise. Verses 1 through 9, the author directs our attention to the perfection of his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. The the author is already really emphasizing, only emphasizing one fact, and it is that this, according to verse 4 of chapter 10, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The, The sacrificial system, in other words, was never instituted, was never intended by God to take away sins. It's impossible For the blood of a bull, he says, or the blood of a goat, or the blood of a lamb, or the blood of a bird, it is impossible for that animal blood, that animal sacrifice, that offering, to ever take away sins. Such sacrifices, he says, could never make those who draw near. That's a way of talking about worshipers. A worshiper was one who was bringing his sacrifice, and he would bring his sacrifice And he would make that offering, but it could never take away sin. In fact, what he says is, it's actually a reminder that I'm going to have to do this all over again. Because it never takes away sin. So follow the line of thought from verse 4 to verse 5. Consequently, because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, consequently, or therefore, when Christ came into the world, because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, When Christ came into the world, that's why when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes here from uh, 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 Psalm chapter 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, of course, if you look at uh, uh, Psalm chapter 40, you'll see, but ears you have dug for me. And this is just, this is the author's interpretation. He's showing us that what he meant, what he said, ears you have dug, he's referring to a body that you prepared for me. So because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, when Christ came into the world, 
if you can imagine it in time-space reality, as he was going through the incarnation, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. God did not ultimately require an animal sacrifice. That's the point. No, he desired a person. That was the whole point. God never desired animal sacrifice. He desired a person, and not just any person. He desired a person who was completely devoted to do your will, to do the will of God. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. I've come to do what you have always intended to be done. That's why I'm talking about the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. One man said, the thoughtless slaughtering of animals did not remove sin. God had no pleasure in specific sacrifices, burnt offerings and sin offerings, because they had become an end in themselves. Those who offered them had failed to do God's will. He was pleased only when the sacrifices were a demonstration of a broken and contrite heart. Wholehearted obedience was the only sacrifice God really wanted. And listen, Christ was the one who came to do the will of God. He is the perfect sacrifice because that's what God desired all along. In other words, I'm saying to you, it is in the perfect obedience of Christ, the perfect submission of Christ to the will of God in our place, that the believer can be set apart unto God, and that's why he's able to draw near to God because of the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. He gave the sacrifice that was always intended from eternity past to be given. Do not think about the the, the death of Christ on the cross as somehow plan 1A or B. He is, in the book of Revelation, the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. Right? This is the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. He did not desire, God did not desire the animal sacrifices. That's not His ultimate desire. The ultimate desire was a person. All of those things were a shadow, what did He say in chapter 10 verse 1, of the good things to come. They were pointing to something that was to come, the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. You can come boldly because Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Secondly, the permanence of Christ's sacrifice. He says that in verses 8. He said, refers to the perfection of sacrifice in verse 8. You've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice or offering or burnt offerings or sin offerings. That's why I said, behold, I've come to do your will. And by that will, he says in verse 10, we, notice this, just underline this, we have been sanctified. Now the writer of Hebrews loves that word sanctified. He he uses it where the Apostle Paul might use the word justification or he might kind of dive down a little bit. The writer of Hebrews just uses this word sanctified to be set apart unto God, made holy, referring to a relationship that is taking place between man and God. And by that will, by what will? By the will that was done, the will of God that was done by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified. And then he says these two things. We're talking about permanence here. Through one offering once for all. Literally, one offering, one 
single offering for all time, a single sacrifice for all time. The contrast is very evident here. The priest offered repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over and again, year after year, day after day, but Christ offered one sacrifice for all time. We have been sanctified by the once for all sacrifice of Christ. And verse 11, so he, he emphasizes the preeminence by emphasizing the one sacrifice once for all time. But look how he says it in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Christ, when he went, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. There, there's like the work when he said on the cross, it is finished. That was it. There's nothing left to do. Nothing more to be done. And where did he sit? I love this. He sat, didn't, it, I don't want to just emphasize that he sat down, emphasizing the completion of his work, but look where he sat. He sat at the right hand of God. At the right hand of God. The right hand is the place of authority, privilege, honor, acceptance, welcome. He just went right to the right hand of God. His work was finished. He went back to where he came from and sat down at the right hand of God. The work was finished. There's a confidence that every believer has because of the permanence of the sacrifice of Christ. It's not as if there remains anything to be merited or deserved by us. No, it's all provided in him. The permanence of his sacrifice. One offering for all time. He goes and sits down, but doesn't just sit down. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Would he be there if his work was not accepted? This is how you can have confidence. This is why God calls you and I to come boldly today. Not like, uh, I don't... Uh, but... Coming boldly because of the perfection of Christ's sacrifice and because of the permanence of Christ's sacrifice. But not only that, look at verse 13 and the power of Christ's sacrifice. He sat down and he sat down waiting. Just keep moving on. He sat down because his work was complete and absolutely successful and now he is waiting. This verse 14 is referring to the present time and now he is waiting for the consummation of his victory. When all of his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. There's no doubt about this. No question, folks. There's no uncertainty here. There's this idea that he sat down and he sat down with authority. You ever sit down with authority? <laughs> After we get new furniture, my son sits down with authority, plops right. I'm like, what are you doing? You act like you own the place. It's like, well, I do, Dad. Okay. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the, of the Father with authority. He sits down calmly and confidently, knowing, preparing to receive the consummation of his victory, which is what? When his enemies would bow before him. And there is power in that. His sacrifice was a powerful sacrifice. Not only that it, in that it affected salvation, but listen, that sacrifice affected the plan of God for the consummation of his kingdom 
for all of eternity and the absolute destruction of sin and death itself. Listen to what Paul said. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The power of the sacrifice of Christ is seen in the fact that he sits down just waiting. I, there, there's not any doubt like, eh, this, we'll see how this pans out. I'm waiting for all my enemies. I'm going to wait to put my feet on the backs of my enemies, showing my utter rule and reign, the consummation of my victory. You see why he wants you to come boldly? He even calls us to come boldly to the throne of grace, doesn't he, in chapter 4? Look what he says down in verse 19. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Why? Because of the perfection of Christ's sacrifice and the permanence of Christ's sacrifice and the power of Christ's sacrifice. But then, verse 14, which is my favorite verse in all the Bible, the purification of Christ's sacrifice. For, why is he waiting for the time for his enemies to be made his footstool? Because... By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed or those who are being sanctified. Christ sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the final consummation of his victory. And what is he doing while he is waiting? He's watching. He's watching the ongoing effects of his work. And what is that? His one-time offering has accomplished the perfection, the spiritual completion, the spiritual purification That it was intended to accomplish. And he is watching the ongoing results of his work being played out on the scenes of history as people are being sanctified. The author uses that to, to refer to those being set apart unto God. Marked out for holiness as children of God. It's as if the author sees Jesus sitting there on the throne at the right hand of God looking at the history of of the world. And there is this sweeping lineup of men and women from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. And in, in generation after generation, one after another, and they are receiving the benefits of his work. And he's just watching. Because by one offering, he did it once and for all, those who are being sanctified. You get the picture? It's been accomplished and he's watching There's my work, and I'm watching its effects in people, men and women from every tribe and language and tongue and nation, from every corner of the globe, coming to Christ and embracing the the, the fullness of His sacrifice on their behalf. He's watching it happen. He is enjoying the purification. He set them apart. He perfected, is the word, completed those who are being completed. 
absolute spiritual purification. Jesus is not wondering, well, I wonder if I did enough. I hope I got them on the right track so that they can kind of muscle their way through. <laughs> no way. The author views this line of humanity one by one being sanctified and the reason for them being presently set apart unto God in faith is the fact that long ago Christ took their sin to the cross and made once for all the perfect offering for sin and thus made the spiritual purification that they're enjoying. Jesus did something on the cross. He did not make up salvation possible. It was a very definite atonement that he made that day. He took the sins of everyone who would believe and he paid the price. And that's why we come boldly with confidence to this table today. Because the present experience of being set apart unto God in saving faith results from his purifying work on the cross, the purification of his sacrifice. But like the old Amishman said, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Because we go from that to look at the promise of Christ's sacrifice in verses 10 through 18. What is the promise of Christ's sacrifice? You see, he quotes here from the book of Jeremiah. He references Jeremiah's words regarding the new heart and the new covenant. This is what the Holy Spirit talked about. So, first of all, it's an interesting that the author of Hebrews refers to Jeremiah's words, not as Jeremiah's words, but as the words of the Holy Spirit. There's a great verse for the inspiration of Scriptures. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, so he's developing something, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. This is new covenant language, a new heart, new mind. What is that new covenant? The new covenant, listen, is a new relationship. What is the relationship? It is the relationship of remembering their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This new relationship is a relationship in which God chooses to remember our sins and our lawlessness no more. That is how the moral consciousness of our sin is removed. It is removed because He has chosen to remember it no more. So when we come to the table today, we're not coming like the priest who has the consciousness that he's going to have to offer another sin offering tomorrow, thus remembering sin. No, we come not in remembrance of our sin, but we come what? In remembrance of Christ. And that's why we come boldly. When you come to faith in Christ, you're not only turning in repentance from your sin. You are doing that. And if you've not repented of your sin, you've not come to faith in Christ. But you're not only turning in repentance from your sin, you are turning from the guilty conscience that keeps you in despair. You say, how do I know this? Because that's the question. Many, How do I know 
How do I, how can I know this kind of faith? Well, to be sure, faith is a gift. But faith is no blind leap in the dark. Faith is taking God at His word, and He has given you the Bible. You ought to understand this, friends. He has given you His word, and you can search out to know whether or not these things are true. You see how the writer of Hebrews deals with these things? He sees how Christ has uniquely, utterly fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures. By most counts, there are more than 300 ways in which Christ fulfilled what was written in the Old Testament. Some estimate that perhaps more than 600 allusions to the life and death of Christ in the Old Testament. For instance, Isaiah 7 speaks of His virgin birth. That's what we read about in Matthew 1. Micah 5 speaks of His birth in Bethlehem. Luke 2 tells us that. Worship, he was worshipped by wise men and presented with gifts. Psalm 72. We read that in Matthew 2.11. We read that in Isaiah 11, he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew 2.23 tells us that. He would be from the household of David in 2 Samuel 7. Romans chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 explain he was from the household of David. He would speak in parables. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 6. Matthew chapter 13 explained how he spoke in parables. He would come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Zechariah 9.9. 9. What do we read in Matthew 21? Here he comes riding in Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. Matthew 8.2, that he would be praised by children. Children praising him in Matthew 21. That he would be rejected of his own in Psalm 69. John chapter 1, his own did not receive him. Most would not believe his works in Isaiah 53. John chapter 12, they took him, they followed him no more. He would be forsaken by his disciples in Zechariah 13. His disciples, every last one of them forsook him, Matthew 26. He'd be betrayed by a good friend and for 30 pieces of silver, Psalm 41. And that's exactly what we read in Matthew 26. We read in Isaiah 50 that he'd be scourged and spat upon. Matthew 26 and 27, he was scourged and spat upon. Crucified between two thieves, Isaiah 53. That's exactly what we read in Luke 22. He'd be given water, a vinegar to drink, Psalm 69. What do we read in John chapter 19? We read in Psalm 22, he would thirst. He cries out, John 19, 28, I thirst. We read in Psalm 22, his feet and hands will be pierced. What do we read? They put nails in his hands and feet in John chapter 19. In Psalm 22, the Bible says that, that the, this Messiah, his garments will be divided and gambled for. Exactly what we read in John 19, 23 and 24. Exodus 12, his bones would not be broken. John 19, 33 and 36, his bones were not broken. Isaiah 53, 9, he would be buried with the rich. Matthew 27, he was buried with the rich. We can go on all day. He will be raised from the dead. Psalm 16, Matthew 28, he rises from the grave. He would ascend into heaven. Psalm 24, Mark 16, he rose up into the heaven on a great cloud. He'd be greater than Aaron, the priest. Psalm 110, Hebrews 5, he is the greater high priest. And finally, Psalm 110, he would be seated at the right hand of God. And we just read Hebrews 10, he sat down at the right hand of God. All you have to do is read. And you have this verifiable truth in black and white to tell you who Jesus is, and he shows you in Hebrews chapter 10 exactly what he has accomplished. He has accomplished the, perf the perfect sacrifice, the permanent sacrifice, powerful sacrifice, purifying sacrifice, and the sacrifice of promise. What is that promise or the promise of his sacrifice? To forgive the sins, to remember them no more. So if you're trusting Christ... How should you come to this table today? Should you come tiptoeing, trying to sneak in? 
Or should you come boldly? I hope that you will hear this today. In Christ, God says, I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. And so we come today, not like the Old Testament priest remembering our sins, but we come today to do exactly what Christ commanded us to do. We do these things in remembrance of him. Boldness, as I said, does not mean flippancy. We enter into the holiest place, as it were, the very throne room of God this morning. We draw near to God and He is not disgusted with us. We come close to God in Christ and He doesn't look away or try to move away from us as if we were abhorrent to Him, as if He were offended by us. I was thinking some years ago, we were in some, I think we were in some uh, South American country and it was hot and we were on a bus and somebody sat down next to me and they were, a dr- they were drunk. They smelled so terrible and it was so hot in that bus and I was feeling so bad and, and feeling nauseous and that, that odor was so bad. And I remember myself distinctly moving away, trying to get my head out into the aisle just to get some fresh air, trying to get as far away as I could on that packed bus from that person. And just this week, as I was thinking about Hebrews 10, I realized that that's how God should react to me. Brothers and sisters, God does not do that to us. He doesn't just try to hold his nose or sort of nicely allow us to be near him. No, there's no sniff or smell of sin on us for we have been completely cleansed and made holy by the blood of the son of the living God who died in our place. And that's why we come to the table this morning. We come not to this table, not as foul and detestable with our stomach churning, evil smelling sin. No, if you are a believer in Christ today, you come without stain or sniff of sin. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And listen, friends, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then that that day, in a nobler, sweeter tongue, we'll all sing the perfect sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ himself. And if we can sing it then, We can sing it now. Which is why the author closes this chapter like he does. Let us draw near. Let's let's be worshipers today. 
It's like him saying, come on, let's go. Come on, guys. Let's be worshipers. Let's draw near with a true heart. Don't be like, if you're coming tippy-toeing this morning, either you don't understand the gospel or you've never embraced it. So you need to make some, uh, have some time to consider your standing before God. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance, with your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And, and you know what? And let us hold fast the confession. Because of what Christ has accomplished, I'm not going to let this go. In fact, I'm not, not going to let it go. I'm going to stir up each other. I'm going to come along and stir you on. Poke. Come on, man. Get on. Let's go. Man, come on. Let's do this. Right? Don't, don't be mealy-mouthed as a Christian. Don't be wimpy. Let's go. Stir one another up to love and good works. That's why we meet together. We do it more and more because we know the day, the day, the day is approaching. See, that's, that's the point of this whole passage. He wants you to be bold. To be bold. And your, your only boldness does not come because of you. It comes because of Him. You've seen the perfection of His sacrifice and the permanence and the power purification, the promise. And now, it's all Him. If you're embracing that, that's what it means to be a Christian. Repenting of your sin, turning to Christ and the perfect perfection of His sacrifice for your sin and trusting Him and not letting go. That's what it means to be a Christian. Understand, He died, was buried, rose again the third and you embrace that and if that's you say that's that's me then i'm saying come boldly to this to this table today if it's not you you say ah joe i'm not embracing that gospel why not why are you not embracing the gospel well because i love my sin a little too much well that's dumb don't do that that's not going to get you anything why won't you come to Christ? You see who He is. You see, I gave you just a few of the hundreds of the ways in which He fulfilled the Scriptures in a unique way only He could do it. You embrace Him. Just, just turn from your sin and turn to Christ today. The greatest thing is this. Realize this. You could come to faith in Jesus Christ today, right now. You could come right now, repent of your sin, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be just as worthy to come and sit at the table as the most seasoned Christian here. <laughs> you right? Yeah. Not like there's, there's no... Okay, here's the, here's the upper echelon table. Oh yeah, you're down there. One day, buddy, you'll get here. No, it's, it's an open seating plan around this table. So do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Any doubt that you are trusting in Him and in Him alone? If that's you today. You're trusting Him. I'm going to invite you to come boldly to the table. Here's, and I say come boldly. We're going to bring the elements to you. But you understand that there's a sense in which you're taking this worthily. Not, not because of your worth, but because of Christ. And you want to make sure that your life lines up. If there's an area of sin like, why are you spending time in sin when you see all of the stuff that Christ has done for you? Why are you wasting your time living in sin? Stop it. Just stop. Turn to Christ and trust Him. 
and then come to this table today. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you do have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if that's to you, you today, I invite you to this table. Kids, let me say a word to you. I am glad that you're here today. And I, would, uh, I want you to pay attention and listen. Listen to your parents. This is a good time for them, for you to ask them questions. They might say to you, no, just wait. It's not time for you to take yet. And you just listen to your parents because this is an opportunity for you to think about the gospel. The gospel song we sang and all this truth. We've been, just sit and consider what Christ has done and consider how he has paid the price for your own sin. And one day, when you come, if you've never come to faith in Christ, you, you say, Lord, help me to come to faith in Christ. Help me to trust Him. All right? We're just going to take a few moments of quietness, of, of, of just quiet reflection, making sure that you're in the faith, making sure you're a believer in Christ. If there's a sin in your heart that you've been embracing, you've been holding this week, boy, you're just going to run from that sin faster than anything you can do. Just turn away from that sin as quickly as you can. Repent of it confess it before the Lord. Maybe you have a problem with another brother or sister here in Christ. You go to them right now and you get that right. I mean it. You get right up and you go to them right now and tell them you forgive them or ask their forgiveness, right? And then we come to the table in a way that we, we're just leaning on Jesus and Him alone. So just a few moments of quietness and then we'll pray and we'll disperse the elements. Thank you. Verse 14, these words. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup 
that is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. But behold, Jesus said, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So today we'll distribute the elements, the bread and the juice, and these will be, if you are partaking together today, uh, you just take as it comes before you. If you're withholding for whatever reason, you let the plate pass from you. But I want to invite you to come boldly, confidently, because of the work of Christ, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll pass out the elements. Please, when you receive, just wait until we'll eat and drink together.